This time on Poll Hub, the midterms are close, and on election night, you are going to be hearing a lot about what the exit polls are showing, what they're saying, what are voters thinking, what are they doing? Well, we've got Mr. Exit Poll himself, Joe Lenski, here to talk us through what to expect. He's busy, we're busy, we got lots to cover, so let's get started. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I'm Barbara Carvalho, Director of the Marist Poll. And I'm Lee Berengoff, Director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. So every night on election night, not every night, every election night, uh, before the polls close or on those first five and six o'clock newscasts where the polls are still open, the only polls that anybody talks about, the only opinion polls that anybody talks about, are exit polls. The mm-hmm. reporters talk about, well, the exit polls are showing, and they never talk about which candidates ahead. They talk about the majority of voters that we've seen coming out of the polls are concerned about X, Y, or Z, that kind of thing. That's an exit poll. We're going to hear a lot of exit polls uh, in November coming up in the midterms. And Joe Lenski from Edison Research, Mr. Exit Poll, that's what yes. we're calling you, is with us today to uh, talk about the uh, exit polls. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. So, uh, Joe, I know we've worked uh, closely over the decades, and um, you know, I will start by just you know, uh, full disclosure. I'm a big fan of exit polls. Now, I know I may not. And you're be, a big fan of Joe Lenski. I'm a big fan of Joe Lenski. They are, as oh. Jay just indicated, perhaps one and the same. Let's start by just walking us through a little bit what you're going to be doing on election day, and if you want to put in what you're going to do prior to election day in terms of early voting you can talk about that too maybe we should start there yeah our election day is actually already started we're actually already interviewing people in early voting states like tennessee and nevada um, as they're voting we're um, we've made some changes to how we're talking to early voters this year and in those two states nevada and tennessee we're actually talking to them as they exit early voting centers. Oh. Uh, so do you actually state. have so people on the ground? Our election day has already started. Yep, we, we will be talking to people all over Nevada and Tennessee as they go to early voting stations. Um, in other states with large numbers of earlier absentee voting, we'll be doing telephone interviews. Um, we're doing some um, uh, changes this year where in some states we'll be using RBS uh, registered uh, voter samples for the early uh, telephone polls, and in some states we'll still be doing RDD. Um, so we'll be having and a the mix re- of the, that this the, year. The reason for that is the quality of the available numbers and data. I mean, why some, why not the others? Yeah, it, the the quality of the registered uh, voter list really varies from state to state, both in terms of the demographics that you get in those lists, and also more importantly the phone coverage, uh, what percent of registered voters have a match, either a landline or cell phone match that we can call. So we're limiting the, the states that we're calling RBS mm-hmm. this year to those with the, the highest percentage of phone match this year. Okay, so, um, so the sun so rises, uh, you've been doing the early stuff, the sun rises on election day, and uh, tell us, walk us through what the next dare I say 72 hours looks like for you, but mm-hmm. I, I, know, I know sleep is not the thing that you, uh, that you yeah. uh, get a whole bunch of uh, in that, during that period. Well, our crew will actually start before the sun rises. Um, <laughs> polls open in some states as early as 6 a.m. So we'll have people um, at our phone rooms taking check-in calls as early as 5 a.m. We'll have 
over 800 exit poll interviewers around the country going to polling stations, uh, and they will start interviewing when the polls open and voters arrive. Uh, so our day starts before the sun rises, and it goes well beyond when the sun sets. So we'll, our interviewers will be interviewing throughout the polling day. They will take a break uh, three times during the day, usually mid-morning, mid-afternoon, and right before poll closing, and they'll call in those results to our phone centers, and we'll process the election day results in the states where we've done interviews of early voters. We will um, mix the early voters with the election day voters in the survey and the proportion of what percentage vote early and what percentage vote election day, and those results will be weighted and processed immediately and delivered to our clients which are the four major television networks, ABC, CBS, CNN, and NBC. Well, yeah, and so when the polls do well, um, people ignore you. And when the polls don't do well, you are faced with, you are the, you are the messenger in a sense, um, and so face um, a lot of criticism. Certainly um, in 2016, there was a lot of um, discussion about the polls um, and actually the value of exit polls specifically. So could you react to some of those, those criticisms? Are they, um, you know, are they fair? Are they unfair? Um, what, you know, what is your sense of what the role of uh, exit polls should be? Well, an, an exit poll is a survey like any other survey. So it has sampling error, other margins of error. Also, you, um, the networks and other news organizations start using some of the results as early as 5 p.m. Um, results, as were mentioned before, about the issues that are driving people, how uh, how late in the process people made their minds up about candidates, questions like that. We don't broadcast any questions that would give away the winner until all the polls and that's yeah, closed. Right. But there's other issue and demographic information from the exit poll that's reported before the polls close, and that means we haven't completed our interviewing. We may have only done two of the three waves of um, data collection at that point, and uh, as You've been seeing about the discussion about the, the New York Times Siena polls, which are broadcasting or publishing their results online with every single interview they do. Uh, a partial survey can really jump around in terms of, of the results until it's uh, fully completed and fully weighted. So uh, while what the New York Times is doing is somewhat novel in terms of telephone polling, exit polls for years have been broadcast with partial returns until they're fully completed and finally weighted. So uh, people have to understand that until all the interviews are done and the final weighting is done, some of these numbers will, will move around a bit during the day as they're reported, and our, our clients are careful to, to make that point. Um, other consumers of the exit poll might not be as careful to, to understand that point. Yeah, one of the things that um, I've understood and I think is a big misuse of, of, of what your work is, is some of those early waves that the political community gets to see because they subscribe to it and the, the word kind of like, you know, goes remember, around. Remember New Hampshire yes, in it, you know, 2008, Hillary and Obama. Yeah, right. President Kerry in, 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 in 04. And you understand how that's like, Oh, I was watching the Red Sox Astro game, and you know, if you reported the results that in the sixth inning, I mean, you really didn't know what was going to happen. And yet, that I think 
is what often results in the spin of what is people's expectations of what's going to happen uh, later. I mean, is there anything that you're doing this time so that people don't read a one or two point edge in a state and say, well, there goes the blue wave. It's, you know, or there, here it comes. I mean, you know, th those early indications, which can be, as you say, so misleading. Um, what, what well, is there something that you can do or have intended to do? Well, I, I think 2016 was a lesson, not only for those of us that are practitioners, but those of us that are consumers of polling, that a, a small edge in a poll doesn't necessarily mean you know who's going to win with uh, a certainty. And anyone that built models that had certain winners uh, ended to grow tended to regret that at the end. Uh, I think all of us are better consumers of polls than we were mm -hmm. before 2016. And I think um, our clients are, are much better at reporting the inexactness of a survey um, than they were. Uh, the exit polls have even more reason to be cautious because as I said, most of the results you see uh, early in the evening are from uh, waves that haven't been completed yet or mm -hmm. fully weighted. The other thing an exit poll um, is adjusted for as the night goes on is the actual vote returns. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have estimates we make of turnout around the state based on uh, pre-election surveys and past voting history, but it's not until you actually see the actual vote count that you know what percent of the vote is from which parts of the state and you can adjust the, the survey to match that. Um, so... Uh, Exit polls do a really good job of answering or, or getting answers from voters as they leave the polling place and how they voted and why they voted that way. Um, the exit polls are not as precise uh, to make estimates in terms of how many people from which part of the state are actually voting, and you actually need the actual vote returns to adjust the exit poll to, to account for that. So, so as I said, these numbers are, are going to move around uh, throughout the evening until all the interviews are complete, until... The, uh, we have a better uh, turnout model from the state. Um, but I think the general uh, story that is told from the exit polls in terms of, uh, I think you'll see a story this year of one of the largest gender gaps mm -hmm. in, um, in modern U.S. history. Uh, I think that story will be told from the exit poll, even if the exact numbers aren't known till later in the night. The fact that it is going to be one of the largest gender gaps in history will be known fairly early yep. in the night based on the exit polls. Yeah, I thought that the big takeaway, uh, and I'm going to speak to your point in a second, but uh, the big takeaway in 2016, I thought, was that the exit polls showed that people who disliked both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump had a negative impression of both of them went more to Trump at the end than uh, they did to, to Clinton, and that may have been the story of the night. But let me go back just a second to the chronology of the uh, the timing of the evening. So if I'm watching the early waves, let's say it's 6 o'clock, and I see someone ahead by a couple points in a state, let's say the poll closes in that state at 9 o'clock, um, if it's close, at what point in the evening do you have a good sense of how that state is going to go in terms of the actual horse race and having said that my six o'clock reading could be very wrong because of the changes that are that could occur when when do you get a good handle on on when the uh, the realistic numbers are in terms of the exit poll and you said the real numbers that you incorporate in your calculations 
Yeah, we have more information than just the exit poll data that we're using to make projections. And in fact, none of the close competitive races will have a winner projected at poll closing based solely on the exit poll. Um, if it's a single digit race of any type, the exit poll will not be used to project a winner. Uh, in many of these states, we have sample precinct reporters where we have a sample of 75 or 100 precincts throughout the state where we have reporters that get the returns from that precinct as soon as that precinct closes and the, the numbers there are counted. And those are put into our model. And those precincts are also in our exit poll sample. So we can see immediately precinct by precinct which precincts we overstated one candidate and understated another candidate and can make those adjustments um, immediately when we get the precinct returns. We will also be collecting county returns from every county in the country for all the statewide races and the congressional races. Uh, this is the first time we're doing this in a midterm election for all four of the networks. It's a, a function the Associated Press used to do for the, the um, network consortium, and now we've taken that over as well. So we'll have exit poll data, we'll have sample precinct data, and then we'll have county data as well. And so as that data flows in, we have three sources of data to confirm and to inform our models, and you can see the standard error for each of these estimates going down as more data comes in and more data confirms or contradicts each other. Uh, if the data is confirming each other, we can make calls pretty quickly after poll closing with sample precinct or county data that confirms what we're seeing in the exit poll. If we're seeing conflicting data, we're much more cautious in terms of when we're actually projecting a winner. So when we're listening and watching uh, for the results on election night, uh, we hear a lot of characterizations of what a race might be. So too close to call, likely Democrat, likely Republican. In other words, there's, there's phrases that kind of give us, you know, hints as to how this is, um, you know, going, leaning, you know, one way or the other, um, or an outright call. Can you explain, like, what's happening in terms of the numbers that define those characterizations mm -hmm. of the races? Yeah, well, many of those characterization, the characterizations you're describing, like leaning or likely, those are kind of handicapper um, characterizations before an election. Uh, we're looking at statistical models, and our models um, are based on not only the estimate, but also a calculation of the standard error on that estimate, so how precise we believe those estimates are. And as we get more and more data, those, those errors go down. Um, as we get um, uh, a handful of precincts in, we might have what turns out to be a good estimate, but a high enough standard error that it's not a callable race. Uh, I think some terms you'll see used uh, by our clients on the air will be too close to call. That means we have an estimate that is um, not only not callable, but is projecting a close race. Uh, some of our clients use terminology like too early to call. We may have a candidate leading, but their lead might not be sufficient statistically to make a call. Again, we're usually making our calls based on 99.5% statistical um, confidence, and that usually means a lead of more than three standard errors. And, um, and so while it, it might look like a, a, a comfortable lead uh, when you're looking at that data, it's not a statistically certain lead until it reaches that status. Hey, Joe, can I ask you about uh, something that's happened with the exit polls? Um, sure. AP has sure. pulled out a conglomerate, and, and, and we had uh, someone from the AP on a lot of, some time ago, it was a 
six, eight months ago on, on the podcast here talking about their new VoteCast product, which is their new version of, mm-hmm. of an exit poll. And Fox is their first client. How does that affect you? What do you think of that product? Is there room and is there a necessity for multiple exit poll products? What do you think about that? Well, I, I think there's only one exit poll in terms of uh, a survey that's actually talking to voters as they leave the polling place, and that's our exit poll. Uh, even the folks at AP and Fox don't call their vocast system uh, an exit poll. It's a voter survey, which they're doing mostly online. It's a, uh, small telephone surveys uh, supplemented by large online samples. And this is um, done uh, before I Election Day? This is done before Election Day, the AP it's product. Done, uh, again, it's, it's done leading up to Election Day and interviews, online interviews on Election Day of voters, I believe, but okay. they, they can describe their product more. Um, so I, I still think we're the only uh, survey that can be truly called an exit poll and that we're the only people still interviewing hundreds of thousands of voters on election day as they leave the polling place. Uh, I think that's one benefit of the exit poll is we know everyone we talk to on election day is a voter because we've physically seen them walk out of the polling place. Um, when you're doing surveys online or by phone of voters, you have to depend on self-reporting. And we know historically people are more likely to say they voted than have actually voted. Uh, so I think that's uh, something you have to worry about in terms of online surveys. Uh, in general, I'm a fan of multiple surveys on any subject. In fact, when I started in this business and the ancient year of 1988, now 30 years ago, uh, was the first year I, I worked. I worked on the CBS uh, exit poll in 1988. That was the last election where each of the three major networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, each conducted their own exit poll. Mm-hmm. And if you go into the archives, you'll see that there are three separate exit poll estimates, three separate exit poll crosstabs uh, nationally and for many of the states. And I think you learn a lot from multiple measures of of the same activity so uh i'm i'm all for other people uh doing voter surveys i just think the fact that we're talking to actual voters on election day Mm -hmm. makes ours uh, more valuable you know we are um fans of the exit poll as political scientists and uh teachers at marist college um we have used those results often in in class and in discussions um what what do you see as the most significant contribution that exit polls have made to our discussions about uh elections and uh and and voting well i think for decades now, and exit polls have been part of the, the election process since the 1970s, it bases the post-election discussion on some sort of factual basis, at least some sort of measurement of what voters were thinking, uh, what they thought were important when they made the choices. Uh, I mean, without the exit polls, you would just have pundits uh, and uh, politicos uh, uh, assuming they understand the voting population. Oh, oh they'll and do that. They'll the do that anyway. Ask them. <laughs> yeah, and they'll and they'll pick and choose the results from the exit poll that that serve their argument the best. But at least there's a set of data that everyone is is looking at and can base their arguments on some measurement of of voter attitudes. Again, it's a survey like any other survey, so. Uh, People argue about the precision, but in terms of the general picture 
uh, in terms of what we've been measuring over the decades, we've been measuring constantly the increase in non-white voter participation, mm -hmm. and that's been a constant over the years, and the, the, the exit poll has measured that. Uh, we've measured, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the gender gap, and it's looking, if pre-election polls are right, the gender gap is going to be bigger this year than, than any previous year, and you get that uh, from the exit poll. The exit poll is also going to ask what were the most important issues in terms of voters. They're going to get um, measurements of Trump's approval among actual voters. We see plenty of pre-election surveys with Trump uh, job approval anywhere from 49 or 50 percent from Rasmussen to uh, the mid to high 30s and other polls. The exit poll will give you a measure of how actual voters approve or disapprove of the job President Trump is doing. So uh, I think exit polls have provided us a um, trend over the years in terms of the change of the electorate, and then for each election, uh, a basis in data in terms of how voters decided and when they decided uh, how to vote. I think, Lee, you mentioned earlier the exit poll in 2016 was critical in evaluating mm -hmm. the pre-election polls because we saw that group of late deciders who disliked both uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump broke significantly to Donald Trump, especially in states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And the exit poll helped us explain why uh, pre-election polls may have missed that trend. Um, okay, before we let you go back to your rehearsal and all the prep work you need to mm -hmm. do, in your 30 years, what's the best moment you've had sitting down, looking at the data, or assessing just what was going on nationally? Because you, you are really in a unique position to see what the whole thing is and be one of the early people, obviously, to see that. What is the best moment when you, when you think of memories? Well, the most satisfying moment for me personally was not an exit poll we did in the United States. We do exit polls internationally as well. Uh, and we've done um, three sets of exit polls in the former Soviet Republic of Georgia, and we're scheduled to do a, a fourth set for their presidential election coming up uh, later this month. And um, I was there for a parliamentary election where we conducted the exit poll that actually showed the opposition party was going to win the election. Um, and that the thought of uh, an opposition winning an election and taking over power peacefully in a former Soviet country is not something that can be taken for granted. Um, and we were part of the process of reporting the exit poll and the politicians on both sides, the government side and the, uh, the opposition side accepted the results even before the full vote count was in. And it was kind of satisfying the next morning to walk around Tbilisi, Georgia, and see a peaceful wow. city where power had transferred in that country peacefully. And we were a small part of that process. So in terms of the most satisfying uh, exit poll uh, I've done, that might be the top of the list. Yeah, really neat. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're very busy and you got a lot going on coming up to Election Day. We okay. will be watching and listening for your exit poll results as they're used by all the networks to help describe the election as it unfolds in front of us. And we're going to check back with you afterwards because, as you pointed out, the exit polls, the value isn't necessarily on election night. The value is really after the election and understanding what happened. So we're going to come back to you uh, after we've got the numbers baked. And we'll talk to you again about what happened on election night in 2018. After I get some sleep, I'll be happy to do yeah. that. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks.
And that will do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Ashley Soriano is our trusted prediction, production assistant. Uh, Kenny Marples is our editor. And of course, Mary Griffith is our trusted executive producer. We also want to thank the Roper Center Archive at Cornell University, who provides us with the ability to look back in time at survey questions and the results over the decades. And as always, send your questions to pollhubatmarist.edu or reach out to us on social media. We're at Marist Poll on Twitter or Marist Poll on Facebook. Well, you can just find us just about any place. And don't forget to subscribe. Next week, it'll be lots, lots of more polls uh, as we get very close to the midterm. And then it's our final poll extravaganza, which will be a lot of fun going right into. We're not going to tell you what it's all going to be about. You better listen. See you then. (laughs) 